0: Welcome to another episode of Monsters and Murder. I'm Sam.
1: And I'm Shane.
0: And tonight we are going to talk about some murder. And this week I have another unsolved case. Last time it was a disappearance. Uh Uh-huh. Well, it was a solved unsolved when I did just the main episode. But Mm -hmm. this week this is an unsolved murder. Oh no. And so I'm going to tell you about the unsolved murder of Adrian Salinas. Okay. So we're going to go back to the beginning Like Hilary Duff. (laughs) (laughs) So Adrienne Celeste Salinas was born in November of 1993, and she grew up in Tempe, Arizona with her younger brother. When Adrienne was younger, her parents were together for about the first six years of her life, Mm -hmm. but things were not working out between the two of them, so they split up. And usually, you know, children typically go with their mother. Yes. But in this case, Adrian and her younger brother were raised by their father. His name is Rick. Their mom was still in the picture, mm-hmm. and Adrian and her brother would visit her, but they lived full time with their father.
1: Do you know, does it say, like, was that their choice, or was that just how it worked out between the parents?
0: I think it was. Probably initially, because they were so young, it was probably a par- parental decision. Mm-hmm. But as they got older, it definitely became a... They wanted to live with their father. And I don't, it, there was no indication there was any animosity or bad feelings between their mother and them. Uh-huh. It was just that they preferred to live at home with their father. Okay. Um, Rick and Adrienne were extremely close throughout her childhood. I mean, like, the pictures that you see of them... Mm-hmm. He was always there. Aww. Um, Adrian and her brother were literally the lot of his life. And they spent all their time together. He took them to amusement parks and would take them to do things that he knew they enjoyed. Mm -hmm. He did everything that he could to make sure that they were happy and they were healthy. And as Adrian grew up, Rick described her as intelligent, responsible, and motivated. Adrian loved to read and watch movies. And from a very early age, Rick said that he knew that Adrian was going to be an overachiever. Uh-huh. Like, classic first child, perfectionist, <laughs> you have to do everything right, be on time.
1: Like us. <laughs> yeah, definitely.
0: Like, I, when I see... You can tell who... If a person has more than one sibling, you can generally tell who is the oldest. Mm-hmm. Because they're the one that's always on time. They're the one that's put together.
1: Yes. <laughs>
0: um, during elementary school, Adrian met friends that she would have for the remainder of her life. Mm Mm-hmm. Shaney, Jess, and Rebecca. What was the first name? Shaney. Oh, okay. (laughs) Making sure I heard that right. Yes. And then, I've seen conflicting reports. She either met Francisco, who goes by Fran, in either the 5th or the 8th grade. I saw it in multiple places, both 5th and 8th grade. Uh Uh-huh. Can only be one, (laughs) but I'm not sure which one it was. And basically, from the moment that Adrian and Fran met, they were inseparable. Mm -hmm. Like, they were together, they knew each other better than anybody else, it was always Adrian and Fran. Fran was kind of goofy, but he was easygoing, and Adrian's friend said it was kind of funny to see them together, because Adrian was so tall, like, very thin, very, like, model type, Uh and Fran was just, like, the goofy kid. (laughs) So it was a little kind of funny to see them together. He was goofy, and Adrian was shy and reserved. Fran described Adrian as his best friend and the only girl that he ever truly loved. Aww. She was kind and funny and sweet. And in one of the interviews that I saw with her friend, Mm -hmm. Rebecca, she said that Adrian was the best friend. Like, you know, in friend groups, there's usually, like, everybody gets along. Everybody brings something something to the group. But there's usually one person that, like, is the glue Mm -hmm. for the friend group. And that was Adrian. Mm -hmm. She was everybody's best friend in you know in a friend group she was always there to laugh or talk with and she really cared deeply for her friends and her family as she grew into a young adult she had dreams of becoming a journalist she was extremely intelligent but she was also kind of meek like not loud and in your face uh-huh one of her friends said that if adrian wasn't so meek she would actually be intimidating because she was so smart okay So, growing up with that group of friends and living with her dad, her house became the spot to hang out. Mm -hmm. And there was always a group of kids at Rick's house. Um, She was the
1: cool house. (laughs) She
0: was the cool house because at her house there was a pool, a pool table, plenty of snacks. Mm -hmm. Rick was like the dad to everybody and he made everybody welcome and feel at home. And he said that he wanted to create an environment where his kids wanted to be. Because that's how he could keep them safe, yeah, because he knew where they were, and they wanted to be home because it was a fun place to be mm-hmm. After graduation, Adrian enrolled at Gateway Community College in Maricopa County, Arizona, with plans to enroll at Arizona State University to pursue a degree in journalism and then in two thousand and twelve, Adrian and two of her friends, Shane and Rebecca, decided to move out into an apartment together. At first, Rick was a little apprehensive about Adrian moving out. Uh I think it's like every parent is when their child first leaves home. It's... Like, you don't know where they are all the time. Exactly. It's scary. It's
1: it's hard because they're no longer, like, the parents. Not that they're not needed, but they're not needed for, like, everyday life type of stuff.
0: Well, hopefully at 18, you don't need your parents for everyday life (laughs) stuff either. So, he he saw how excited she was. She was showing him pictures on her phone, like, this is the place we're Uh going to get... She was 19, she was working, she was attending college, she was ready to have her own place. So, Adrienne, Rebecca, and Shaney looked around, they looked at like how much money they were making, what can we afford, where's a good neighborhood to move into, and they found a two-bedroom, two-story townhouse. They were all super excited, because mm-hmm. this is the first time that any of them had moved out. And I remember, like, the night before... I moved away to college. Uh Because I had never lived away from home until I moved to college. Same. I was so nervous. Like, so nervous to the point where I was like, I don't know if I can do it. And then I got there and I was like, why were you nervous? Like, (laughs) But, I mean, it was just like, I wasn't moving away with friends. I didn't know anybody when I moved away Mm -hmm. to college. But it was like, once you get there, it's super exciting. And then, like, finding your own place after you graduate is even more exciting. Because it's like... I did it. Mm-hmm. And I don't have to live at home. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, very much so. I felt the same way going to college, though. I The night before, I I was that nervous, excited, that I didn't know if I was going to be able to sleep until the morning, but I was able to lull myself into sleep so I could get up and be refreshed for my big moving day.
0: Okay, yeah, we had a long drive mm-hmm. to, and like packing up the car. It was... <laughs> but then every year, because I would come home in the summer. hmm Like, by the third week being at home, I was like, I am ready to leave again. And then I ended up, between junior and senior year, I didn't even come home. Like, I came (laughs) home for, like, a week, and then I stayed in a place down there. Uh Uh-huh. So. The townhouse only had two bedrooms. So, Adrian and Shaney were going to share a room. And then the first night they all moved in, they didn't have any furniture. Mm Mm-hmm. So... Adrienne, Chaney, and Rebecca just brought some sleeping bags, and they bought snacks, and they all slept in the living room together because they could not wait to get furniture. They had to get in there.
1: <laughs> it's like but a big sleepover.
0: Yes, and that's the best. Like, when mm-hmm. you were living with your friends, it's kind of like a sleepover every yeah. not? Like most teens, when they move out on their own, like, this was like a new sense of freedom. Mm-hmm. But even though she had that sense of freedom and she was out on her own, Adrian and Rick were still just extremely close. Like, Mm -hmm. they spoke to each other on a daily basis. If not, like, through a phone call, it was through a text. So, they spoke every single day. And Rick also would come to visit them. Like, he was everybody's dad. He made sure they were okay. He made sure they had food in the pantry. (laughs) And then, as it was when she was a child, Adrian's apartment then turned into the hangout spot. And she and her friends would have people over all the time on Sunday evenings. They got everybody together to watch The Walking Dead.
1: Oh, oh my goodness.
0: That was like when it first came out too, right? Like 2012? Yeah, Yeah, somewhere
1: circa around that time.
0: Yeah. So this was like in the very beginning when it was like really good Mm -hmm. and not, you're just watching because you feel loyalty to the show.
1: (laughs) You're not just like getting through it.
0: Yeah. And they also had a lot of parties. And anytime there was a party, Adrian and her friends would invite basically everybody that they knew.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: each girl had their own, like, subgroup of friends. So, they, a lot of times there were people that two of the girls wouldn't know at the party. Yeah. Which was fun. Like, when you're having a party, like, you like for there to be people there that you don't know. <laughs> so, on the night of Friday, June 14th, 2013, there was a birthday party at Adrian's apartment for one of her roommate's friends. Mm-hmm. This party was a little bit wilder than most. Like, there were more people there than there had ever been before. Uh, at one point, somebody pulled the girls' ottomans out, ottoman out into the front yard and set it on fire. And then oh somebody God. broke their TV. That's
1: terrible.
0: But, you know, I think I'd be more pissed if they set my ottoman on fire than they broke my TV.
1: I mean, I'd be angry about both of them. I would immediately be like, party's over. I'd be the party pooper.
0: Well, I think everybody was... <laughs> Drunk, and mm-hmm. so it was just kind of like,
2: oh, but I, yeah. would
0: li- I mean, this is me speaking at 35. True, if I were younger, I probably wouldn't, but I mean, I would have noticed, I would have been mad. But when I was in college, I saw a lot of stuff that I didn't pay much attention to.
1: When I was an RA in college, one of the houses I was over put the couch out in the lawn, and it was an old couch, They pu- they pulled it from the basement. I don't know why they did it. They did not set it on fire, however, but when they did it initially for, like, the football game, because we lived pretty much behind the football stadium, so you could sit from the house in the front yard and watch the football game, I was cool with it.
0: Didn't even really care.
1: But then once a day or two went by, as their RA, is like, someone needs to put that up. And it's not going to be me.
0: (laughs) No, I think the most things I remember, because I was usually very inebriated at those parties, was one of the fraternities always had black lights. Mhm. So you would always wear clothes that would like reflect. Yes. There were so many nights where it just hurt to open your eyes because everything was like neon and fluorescent. <laughs> so, the going back to this party, that evening when Shani got home from work, she went to her room and she found Adrian sitting on Adrian's bed. Adrian was dressed for the party, but she wasn't like her bubbly self. She mm-hmm. seemed a little bit down. And so Shaney found out that Adrian and Fran had gotten into an argument because Adrian felt that Fran had been showing some other girls' attention.
1: Oh no! Yeah.
0: Well, now at this time, Fran and Adrian weren't actually in a relationship with titles,
1: uh-huh.
2: but like
0: you know, when you're in a relationship and you're, it's ending or possibly heading in that direction, there's still ties there, and if you see yes. your maybe partner. Speaking to somebody else, there's some jealousy there, unless you know you don't give a shit, and then in which case the relationship is over. But that wasn't the case here. Mm-hmm. And also, Adrian and Fran were 19 and they had been together since fifth or eighth grade, depending on which article <laughs> you read. Which, by the way, while I'm thinking about it, I got most of my information from a documentary put together by Arizona Family and CBS, mm-hmm. they did a five part series. Oh, wow. And then I also watched an episode of People Magazine Investigates called Darkness in the Desert. Mm -hmm. And then I read a couple articles from AZ Family and I believe it was NBC News. I'll have to double check and make sure. But I think that's what it was. Shaney tried to cheer Adrian up. So they were like, let's go get a drink. Get the party started. It's 10 o'clock.
1: Which is early for party time. (laughs) Yeah,
0: the party was just starting. And because of the large number of people at the party, Shane and Adrian really did not see each other anymore the rest of the evening, aside from that initial drink. Mm-hmm. And that's in the early morning hours of June 15th. So okay. it crossed over into the next day. So on June 16th, this was Father's Day. And Adrian had plans to see her dad because that was Father's Day. It was like a day to mm-hmm. celebrate her dad. And Rick had tried calling her on the 15th the day prior just to confirm plans because they were supposed to have a barbecue at his house. But he never got in touch with her, which Uh was concerning to him. But not enough to, like, freak out because Adrian had been living on her own. However, when Adrian hadn't called by 10 a.m. on the 16th, he was extremely worried and he just drove over there. After he called her, he didn't get a response. He drove to her Mm -hmm. house. So, when he got to her apartment, Shani and Rebecca reform- informed Rick that they thought Adrian had stayed over at Fran's house because they hadn't seen or heard from her since the early morning hours on Saturday at the party. Uh-huh. When they called Fran, he was like, "Adrian is not here. I have not seen her since early morning. Mm-hmm. So, when Rick was speaking with Shani and Rebecca, they weren't like they weren't super concerned that they had not seen adrian on Mm -hmm. saturday or spoken to her because a lot of times she would go like a day or two and not be there because she would be at friends and because they had had a fight they thought maybe she was over there and they had worked everything out yeah but when they spoke with fran he was like you know i've got some missed calls and a text message from her but adrian's never came here last like after we left the party like she did not come here she Mm -hmm. is not here and then when Shiny and Rick searched Adrienne's side of the room, they found the clothes that she'd been wearing at the party the night before and her wallet. Oh. But they didn't see Adrienne or her cell phone and her car was not there. hmm So it was like at this time that Rick and Adrian, her roommates, realized that nobody had seen or heard from her since the early morning hours of the day prior. And they began searching for her immediately. Rick called 911 and he's, you know, my daughter's missing. Something's mm-hmm. happened. Rick and Fran actually found Adrienne's car abandoned a few blocks away from her apartment. There was some damage to the front end of the car and the two front tires were completely blown out.
1: Oh, goodness. That is never good. Yes.
0: So, initially, mm-hmm. police as always, Adrienne's 19, maybe she left on her own. But Rick and Adrian's friends were adamant. Like that's not what happened. Mm -hmm. Adrian did not just leave and abandon the life she had. No, she had just got this new apartment. She was working. She was in college, Mm -hmm. and she would not do that to her father, especially on Father's Day. The detective assigned to her case was Alan Aiky, and after speaking with Rick and Adrian's friends, he no longer believed that Adrian had just left. That something had happened to her. So, the police immediately began their investigation by pulling phone records, following up with interviews um, for people at the party and those closest mm-hmm. Adrian. So, when they pulled the phone records, they found a few things. The first thing they found was uh, several calls that Adrian had made to Fran. Between 3 a.m. and 4.45 a.m. Okay. I'm not sure of the exact time frame, but I did watch an interview with Detective Akey, mm-hmm. and he said somewhere in that time frame, 3 and 4.45, Adrian had called Fran somewhere around 40 times. 40? Yes. Wow. Police also discovered a 911 call, but it wasn't from Adrian's phone. Around 3.45 a.m., Tempe police received a call stating that someone driving a 2002 white Mercury Sable, which was Adrian's car, had hit a curb and was attempting to flee the scene with two busted tires. The caller said the car was speeding and driving erratically, and then they hit the curb. I'm not sure if police dispatched anybody that night to attempt to search for the car. Mm Mm-hmm. But from what I've read and watched, it did not appear that they did.
1: No, because then they probably would have had it impounded if yeah. they had found it.
0: So I'm, I yeah, it doesn't sound like that happened mm-hmm. because Rick and Fran found her car the next day. Yeah. He also discovered a call to a local cab company at four fifty three a.m. on the morning of the fifteenth. This was around the same time that Fran. Had received a text message from Adrian saying she was coming over.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: While interviewing party guests, Detective Aki learned that sometime between 3:30 a.m. and 3:45 a.m., some of the partygoers saw Adrian get into her car, get into her car, and leave, presumably, presumably to go back to Fran's place. And based on that bit of information, investigators discovered that it was Adrian that had been driving her car when it collided with the curb. Now, Adrienne had been drinking and was very intoxicated,
2: Mm -hmm.
0: so it's really very likely that she didn't fully understand the damage done to her car, or how intoxicated she may have truly been. It's also possible that she was aware that she was drunk, and she didn't want to get in trouble with the police. Okay. And also, she and Fran had been in an argument. Mm -hmm. She wanted to get back to Fran's place. At this point, she's already started calling him, and he's not answering. She's on a mission. And when you are drunk and on a mission, not much is going to stop you unless uh-huh. you are stopped. Yeah. At some point between 3.45, that 3.45 a.m. call to Tempe Police and 4.10 a.m., Adrienne had apparently abandoned her car on a nearby street and then just walked back to her apartment. And then once she got back to her apartment, Adrian changed her clothes because they were found by Shaney and Rick. Mm-hmm and then referring back to her phone records, began calling Fran again at 4.10 a.m. And for the next 35 minutes, Adrian repeatedly called his number before sending that text message at 4.43 saying she was coming over. And then at 4.53 a.m. she called the cab company. When investigators went to interview Fran, they found him at a local park hanging up missing flyers of Adrian. And he was more than willing to speak to investigators and answer questions. hmm Fran told them that on the morning of the 15th that he and Adrian had been arguing about him speaking to somebody else or her thinking she was in, he was interested in somebody else. So at about 2.30 that morning, they decided to go back to his apartment so they could talk because they didn't want to fight at the party. Which, when I was watching this, I was like, that's fair, grown up. It is, <laughs> yes. they wanted to leave and not find in front of uh-huh. everybody else. So when they get back to Fran's house, Fran said they talked. And at one point, he stepped out on the patio to cool off. And when he went back inside, Adrian was gone. So he got in his car to look for her, and he found her walking down the street back to her apartment. So he picked her up. Mm-hmm. They're in the car, they're continuing to talk. And when they stopped again at a lot, Adrienne got back out and started walking again. So, at this point, I'm assuming he was probably irritated. She was irritated. They did not want to be in the same space together. So, he called her roommates. Because they didn't live very far apart. They were a few I was going to
1: ask if you knew how far yeah, apart they lived. Yeah, I don't
0: think it was super far apart. Mm-hmm. Um, so, he called her roommates and said, Adrian got out of my car. She doesn't want to ride with me. She's, she's on her way back to your apartment. And this was around 3 a.m. Mm-hmm party attendees and her roommates confirmed that Adrian did get back home after she left Fran's car and Fran openly admitted that he and Adrian had gotten in a fight he told police that he'd he'd only seen the missed calls and the text messages from Adrian when he woke up on the morning of the 15th because he'd been asleep and his phone was on silent mm-hmm. and he was at him he told police he's like Adrian had to know that I was asleep yeah I mean she was calling me over and over he's like after we got in that fight and I went back home I went to bed mm-hmm And his roommates corroborated that he was home between 3 and 5 a.m. And that he was there when they woke back up.
1: Yes. And honestly, like, when you're fighting with someone, because I feel like I've been in this boat with friends at least, um, you don't, like, you get to the point where you don't want to hear from them even if they do message or call you. Like, I've silenced my phone before in order to not receive something. Or at least not to know that I did.
0: Yeah, I I don't think I've ever done that. Like, I know when I've, In my most recent relationship, like, when we would get into an argument, it wasn't always a, we're going to talk about this later. It was like, we have to talk about this right now. Mm -hmm. And it would be, like, those back-to-back messages. Mm -hmm. And then, like, one of us would get super pissed and start responding. And then the other person would just continue to call or text. (laughs) So, I get that. Yeah. And especially when it's late at night and you've been drinking. Alcohol and emotions generally do not mix. No. You just need pizza and you need to go to bed.
1: (laughs) Yes. Yes.
0: So, Fran also agreed to take a polygraph test. When police got his results back, Fran failed the polygraph. However, police interviewed, during this investigation, multiple people and not one single person passed their polygraph test. Everybody showed signs of deception when they were talking about Adrian's disappearance.
1: Yes. I mean, honestly, polygraph tests aren't the most reliable. They're
0: not admissible in court. They're not accurate. It's... Mhm. If I was asked to take a polygraph test, even if I was innocent, I would say no. Mm-hmm. Because I'm an anxious person. Like, they could ask me if I murdered somebody and I would say no. But the, the polygraph would show that I was showing signs of deception. Yeah.
1: Probably just because you'd be nervous, anxious, and, I mean, with my yeah. body, heck, one wrong twitch would show a lot of deception.
0: Yeah, and also, when... It, there's a likelihood because they have been drinking, if you don't remember everything,
3: mm-hmm.
0: you're struggling to remember exactly what happened, what was said. And that can, you know, have an effect on how that plays out. Rick and Adrian's friends said that they had never, not once, suspected Fran of having anything to do with Adrian's disappearance. Like, mm-hmm. That was never a thought that, that entered their mind. And Fran was really upset when he was being questioned, like, if, when he thought police were suspecting him because he didn't have anything to do with it. hmm He was never wavering in his denial of not hurting Adrian. And was more than willing any time they wanted to ask him a question to speak with them. Yeah. Because he didn't have anything to do with it.
1: Mm-hmm. He didn't have anything to hide.
0: No. And then police, when they were questioning people at the party, they realized that there had been a lot of people at that party that night. A lot of people were drunk. You know... Lighting fires, (laughs) breaking stuff. It was a little bit crazy. And Mm -hmm. they were like, you know, there could have been somebody here that saw her, saw her in a vulnerable position and took advantage of that. They also thought there was the possibility that maybe she had gotten super drunk and an accident had happened and somebody was covering it up. However, they didn't find anything like that. There was one guy that had attended the party that had been charged with stalking an ex-girlfriend. And when police looked into him, they couldn't find any ties between him and Adrian. So he was ruled out. Uh-huh. There was no links between anybody at the party that could explicitly tie them to Adrian's disappearance. So then they were like, let's question the cab driver. The cab driver's name was Tom Simon Jr. He drove a cab for the cab company that was owned by his father. Mm-hmm. So, when police questioned him, he admitted that he had spoken with Adrienne the night she disappeared. He said that initially when he got Adrian's call, he told her, you know, I'm like a half hour away. It's going to be a while before I get there, but I'll still pick you up. Uh-huh. Because she wanted him to pick her up at an AM, PM convenience store. And that was on his way to where he'd have to drop off the money from the evening. Mm-hmm. So, he told, it, he told her, like, yeah, I'll, I literally passed by it anyway. I'll pick you up. So, he told investigators that he had followed back up with her as he got closer to the store because that's what he did with all of his passengers Uh if he knew it was going to be, like, a longer wait. And when he spoke with Adrian the second time, he said that she had sounded really stressed. He told her, you know, I'll be there in a few minutes. And she told him, like, I'm not there yet. Like, I'm walking. I will be there, but I have to walk. Mm hmm So, when he arrived a few minutes later, Adrian was nowhere to be seen. He said he waited about 10 minutes for Adrian and tried calling her, but could not get a hold of her, so he left. Investigators pulled, <laughs> pearled, pulled surveillance footage from the gas station, and they saw his cab pull up and wait
2: mm-hmm. and
0: then leave, but Adrian never appeared in the footage. At this point, it was looking like Adrian had just disappeared into thin air because mm-hmm. they did not know where she was later investigation would reveal that her phone had been turned off at 5:07 a.m. on June 15th and that was the last ping from a cell tower in Tempe they never got anything else so going to Adrian's phone police do not have her phone uh-huh so i read a report that said that when they when Rick and Fran found Adrian's car inside there was a notebook and a blackberry
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Do you remember
0: blackberries? I do. That was like the hottest shit to have mm-hmm. when they first came out.
1: Yes. And when you think about it, and especially when you look back on it now, they're kind of useless.
0: They're so ancient, like so <laughs> big and so mm-hmm. funky. Yep. And that was like, but it's funny too. I mean, at least we didn't have those big, like, I always think of, is it Home Alone when they have like the really big, like 15 pound cell phone, the gray ones with the antenna.
1: Um, I think people more associate, at least I do associate that more with Safe by the Bill. Cause Zach, well, like I call it Zach Morris phone. Like when he would yeah. take that giant thing and have it out in school. It was
0: so, yeah, you were definitely going to get called on that, mister. <laughs> that makes me think I had the biggest crush on Zach. And I remember <laughs> my favorite t-shirt when I was in elementary school said Zach attack and it had a picture of Zach Morris on it. <laughs> yeah. I thought we were going to be together
1: forever. And now I watch that YouTube channel, Zach Morris is trash. <laughs>
0: He kind of was when you think about it.
1: Oh, yeah, no. If you watch those episodes, they point out exactly kind of how crappy he was to his friends.
0: Yeah. (laughs) And Slater was just not any better. Not really, no. No. And that mullet, dear God. (laughs) (laughs) Getting back to the case, we go off on little tangents. Mm -hmm. Shortly after police interviewed Tom Simon Jr., they get a call from a woman she was like, hey, I was in the car during that phone call interview you had with Tom. Because when police initially interviewed Tom, they were on what seems to be a three-way call between Tom Jr., Tom Sr., and the police. And okay. I'm assuming they had this three-way call because when Adrian disappeared and Tom Jr. was supposed to pick her up, he was in a company vehicle. Mm-hmm. So I'm assuming that's why that took place. But again, that's an assumption. I don't know if it's true. That's yeah. just what I'm thinking. So anyway, she said she was in the car when they were questioning him about Adrian's disappearance. And she kind of became scared because she realized they are questioning this man that is driving me to the Grand Canyon <laughs> about a woman that disappeared when he was supposed to have picked her up. hmm And she told investigators that Tom appeared to be really uneasy when he was answering questions and she said that after the call ended with investigators, Tom pulled over and disposed of a hacksaw that he had in his trunk.
1: A hacksaw? Uh-huh. And he's just like, excuse me while I get rid of this. Yeah.
0: Don't look back here. <laughs> I'm not doing anything. Look straight ahead. Oh my God. Yes. And then they received another call from the cousin of one of Tom's neighbors. This is like a heard it through the grapevine kind of thing. Uh-huh. But the caller told police... That she had spoken to her cousin, and he told her that on the night of Adrian's disappearance, he heard a woman screaming desperately in Tom's house. So the neighbor turned down his music to get a better listen to be like, is that really what I'm hearing? Mm -hmm. And when he turned his music down, music from Tom's home was cranked full blast. And when police pulled Tom Jr.'s cell records, they found that his phone had been turned off for 12 hours following adrian's disappearance and so detective Aki was like i need to speak with tom again yeah so they got court orders to search his home mm-hmm. and get his dna and initially like in that first interview tom was willing to speak with them yeah but after this he was like uh no <laughs> he was not having it he was like actually pretty pissed so, they searched his home and hit the cab, mm-hmm. and they didn't find anything tying him to Adrian. They didn't have anything of Adrian's there. So, when he came in to be questioned again at the police department and have his DNA taken, the interview footage from that. At one point, he's walking around shirtless, and I don't know why. <laughs> and... Then, when they go to take his DNA, he's gagging and he's yelling at them. He told them, you're animals. Why are you taking something that's mine? And they're like, what are we taking that's yours? And he's like, my DNA! I'm like, to test it. He was so... To store baby. He was belligerently angry. Like, yelling, cursing at the police. When he was in the room by himself, he was talking to himself. And, like, at one point, he yelled I don't speak pig Latin! Like, <laughs> it was... Crazy. He was so mad at them.
1: He is doing himself no favors. No.
0: And in one of the interviews with Detective Aiky, the interviewer was like, Have you ever seen anybody act like that who is innocent? And Detective Aiky was like,
1: No. No. Innocent people don't act like that. Innocent person would be like, I want to do everything I can to help. But yeah. you know, I mean I can only do so much because I was supposed to be the cab driver yes. or something like
0: that. Yeah. So they took his DNA and they wanted to search his person. Oh, I didn't even think this. They probably he was probably shirtless because when they were searching his person, they were looking for like scratches or bite mm-hmm. marks or bruises, like signs that someone had fall back against him. So that's probably why he was shirtless. Oh, okay. I can't imagine he was just taking his shirt off. I, I don't know.
1: Honestly, like when he first told me, as like, is he just like one of those people? Because like I watch a lot of cheesy TV shows, and sometimes like people get nervous or just i don't know they always find like some reason or no reason at all to be like i I just can't flop and there goes the shirt
0: well i always think of like and i know this is not an accurate portrayal but like um i was i'm gonna say rednecks but like you know those hot-headed guys that like anytime they want to fight somebody they immediately take their shirt off yes
1: and I don't know why. Me either. You aren't a wrestler. I don't even know why wrestlers wrestle in their underwear. It makes no sense. Well,
0: I mean, you have more movement. It's like when you wear leggings, like you can get so much more like <laughs> square footage when you're walking. There's nothing to constrict mm-hmm. you. I can kick really high on a pair of leggings.
3: <laughs>
1: true. But I have the same range of motion in a t-shirt as I do without one.
0: Well, that is true. So... It's probably because they were searching him and not because he was ready to fight somebody. (laughs) Although his words were very indicative Uh that he was pissed, he told the police that they were animals. Like he said, you've got the wrong person and you're just harassing me. And even though his behavior was extremely aggressive towards police, they didn't have any evidence after searching the cab and his home that he had ever had any interaction with Adrian.
1: Did they find the hacksaw?
0: Uh, There was no other mention of the hacksaw actually after he removed it from his trunk. So I don't... Wow. Yeah. And then as he was leaving, he was telling them, like, you're, you're just wasting time speaking to the wrong person. And the officer was like, well, did you see Adrian?" And he was like, no, but I wish I would have because then she would be safe and you would be leaving me alone. You should have led with, like, I wish I had seen her because then she would be safe mm-hmm. and maybe not, like, cursing at the police. Yeah. And after they searched you, put your damn shirt back on. <laughs> <laughs> so about two months later, in early August of 2013, Apache Junction police get a call from a man stating that he was searching the surrounding property of his and he'd found human remains.
1: Oh, no. The
0: remains were mummified and partially skeletonized and the cause of death cannot be determined. However, the medical examiner did list the cause as a... Like, the death as a suspicious death. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. In the days prior to the discovery of the remains... That area of Arizona had been experiencing torrential rainfall, like feet of water coming out of the sky. I feel like
1: that always happens before the body is discovered.
0: It was pouring, flooding the entire area, and there were, like, washes coming through some of the, I guess, lower parts below the Mm -hmm. mountains that was, like, six feet tall water Uh rushing down from the mountain. And that's kind of what happened here. The man's property was at the bottom of um, Superstition Mountain. And it appeared that the remains had been dropped at a site higher upstream. But then when the flood came through, it kind of washed the body down. Okay. So investigators wondered if this could be Adrian. Because the body was mummified Mm -hmm. and partially skeletonized. So I was reading, and I'm going to get a little bit graphic with autopsy findings so if you don't like that skip ahead like 30 seconds so in the autopsy it like when they found the the remains one half of the remains was more skeletonized and the other was more like mummified okay and so i don't know if that's indicative of like maybe like one part of the body had been more exposed to the elements and the Mm -hmm. other had not Um, And there was also no indication on the autopsy that mentioned the head or her hands. But because the body was so in that state of decomposition, they didn't know what had happened, if they had been removed purposely, or it was something with the elements, and that's just what had happened.
1: Yeah, especially since it washed up somewhere else.
0: And unfortunately, because the body had... or the remains had been washed like any evidence that would have been found was most likely lost Mm -hmm. and police didn't actually have a true crime scene they had the place where adrian was found Mm -hmm. but they don't know what happened before and they don't know where whatever it was actually happened so there wasn't actually any crime scene for them to process there was the area where the remains were
1: found Mm -hmm. but they do confirm that this is adrian
0: dna did confirm that it was adrian
1: oh her poor friends and family i
0: know when investigators informed her friends and family that her body had been found it was completely devastating i bet yeah and rick had to tell her younger brother which was adrian and her brother were so close Mm -hmm. like it was difficult enough for Rick to process that Adrian wasn't coming home, but then to tell her brother, he was dealing with the loss of losing his daughter, and then he had to see the pain and hurt in his son's eyes knowing that his sister was never coming yeah. back. Shaney said that finding out where Adrian's body had been found was another blow because mm-hmm. she realized that Adrian like for her to get that far from Tempe in the state that she was in without a car that meant that somebody had to have taken her there. Yeah. Apache Junction is about 30 miles away from Tempe. Mhm. Her friend Jess told investigators that Adrian would never get into a car with somebody she didn't know willingly. Something had to happen. So investigators expanded their search of the area in Apache Junction Apache Junction hoping to find some evidence that could provide clues as to what happened to Adrian or to point to her killer. Mhm. Because although they had questioned several people at the party and Tom Simon Junior and Fran, there was no direct evidence linking anybody they'd spoken to to the location of where Adrian's body was found. And unfortunately at that point Adrian's case went cold until February twenty fifteen. Okay. So they're waiting, you know, almost two years to find out and they're still searching, but there's nothing. Mhm. And then in February 2015, Tempe PD received a call from a man named Keen Azariah, and Keen was calling to tell investigators that they may want to look into his friend Brian Patrick Miller as a suspect in Adrian's disappearance, and he was calling to tell them to look into Brian Patrick Miller because Brian Patrick Miller had just been arrested in January of 2015 After DNA evidence had linked him to two unsolved murders from the early 90s in the Phoenix area. Good grief. Yes. He was found, like the DNA that found him, um, the pathologist had used genetic genealogy. Mm -hmm. And that is how they got the link to Brian Patrick Miller. At that time, the murders were unsolved. 22 years later, the murders have become known as the canal killings. Uh Uh-huh. So, I'm going to give a trigger warning here because it's about to get real dark real quick. Just be warned. Okay. On November eighth, 1992, 22-year-old Angela Brasso disappeared while she was out on her evening bike ride. And when she was gone, she was usually gone for like an hour and a half, Mm
1: -hmm.
2: which
0: I think that's a... I mean, I'm not a biker, so I don't know. But I feel like that's a long time to ride a bike.
1: I mean, it is, but if you're an actual biker, it's really no time. Really?
0: No. Well, I guess this is coming from someone whose father, true story, <laughs> when I was learning how to ride a bike, my full-size grown dad got on a bike that was designed for like a five-year-old mm-hmm. and put his full grown man-ass weight <laughs> on the bike and broke the bike oh, in no. two. Oh, no. Oh, yeah, he was afraid he had damaged himself.
1: I am sure he was.
0: <laughs> so, I did not learn how to ride a bike until much later. Uh-huh. And even now, I am I'm wobbly at best.
1: <laughs> I can ride a bike, and if I had a bike that I could transport, I would, you know, use my part time, which oftentimes I'm gone for like a couple hours, and I would use that time and I would ride my bike. You know, either around the park or, like, we have a certain park in town that goes to other parts of the town that I would totally do.
0: You know that saying when people are like, oh, it's like riding a bike. Like, once you learn, you'll never forget. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I am, I barely remember. (laughs) I I am struggling. This is not as easy as riding a bike.
1: No, no. That's it. We need to retire that saying. Because riding a bike is not easy if you don't know how.
0: No, I need, I'm 35 and I still need training wheels on my (laughs) bicycle.
1: Like Peggy Hill on King of the Hill. Exactly,
0: like (laughs) Peggy. The more, the more I age, the more I turn into Peggy Hill. <laughs> Pretty soon, I'm going to be wearing those, like, knee-length denim shorts. <laughs> Angela was going out in the evenings riding her bike around mm-hmm. the Phoenix area. Angela had just recently graduated with honors from a college in Los Angeles, and she had relocated to the Phoenix area after accepting a job at an electronics company. Angela was described as an adventurer and an animal lover, I'm like, okay, you love animals, I love you. Yes. <laughs> Angela's mother said that she was a force, and her father said that she changed the entire nature of her room when she entered it. hmm The following day, the decapitated body of a nude woman was found, on, uh, was found near 25th Avenue and Cactus Road in Phoenix. The body was determined to be that of Angela Brasso. Angela had been brutally attacked and stabbed, suffering extreme mutilation to her chest. The attack had been quick and deliberate with an extremely sharp blade. Angela's... Yeah. Yeah. Angela's purple 21-speed Diamondback bike has never been found. Eleven days later, a man was walking by the Phoenix Canal and noticed what he thought to be a mannequin head stuck in a storm grate. But it was not a mannequin. Angela's head was found on that storm grate. <gasps> and it was in exceptional condition. And that's why he thought it was a mannequin, because mm-hmm. it was in such good condition. Um and police discuss, like theorized that because it was in such good condition, it was suspected to have been frozen and then mm-hmm. placed in the canal. My God. Yes. Initial investigators on the scene suspected that whoever had committed the murder would definitely kill again Mm -hmm. because this was a brutal attack and based on that kind of nature, it was highly unlikely that Angela was the first or the only victim of the perpetrator in September of 1993. So about 10 months later, 17 year old Melanie Burness went out for an evening bike ride
3: Mm -hmm.
0: and she also rode around the Phoenix area. When Melanie failed to return home, she was reported missing. Melanie was a well-liked student at Arcadia High School and was known as the girl next door. She had dreams of becoming a doctor, Mm -hmm. and she actually had visits to Pepperdine University as well as UC UC Berkeley scheduled the week she disappeared. Melanie's body was found the following day in the Phoenix Canal, And her death left a huge hole in her family and friends' lives. Melanie had also been stabbed and suffered similar damage to the chest area as Angela had received. Mm -hmm. The damage had also been done quickly, again with an extremely sharp instrument. Melanie's green SPC hard rock sport bike has never been found.
1: What is it with them taking their bikes too?
0: That's just like a trophy. I mean, that's a big trophy to take, but it's definitely a trophy. When DNA testing became more commonplace, DNA evidence at both scenes would confirm that what investigators already knew was true, Angela and Melanie had been murdered by the same perpetrator. Mm-hmm. 22 years later, through genetic genealogy, Brian Patrick Miller was identified as the murderer of Angela Brasso and Melanie Burness. Brian Pat- Patrick Miller was not unknown to the Phoenix area. While his day job was a delivery man, mm-hmm. he also had a side gig or an alternate identity. My, Miller was known around the Phoenix area and in the cosplay steampunk scene as the Zombie Hunter.
1: Oh, no. Yes.
0: Miller had this full get up with long trench coats, goggles, and this, I don't know, it looks like a multiple barrel, like steampunk mm-hmm. looking gun, like with really long barrels. Yeah. Yeah. He had actually bought an older model cop car, and that became part of his getup. The rear bumper had a zombie hunter Mm -hmm. on the back, like a decal on the back. And he'd drive it around Phoenix and to the cosplay events. And sometimes he would cover it in fake blood, and he'd let people take pictures of the car with him. On his Facebook page, he actually had pictures posted of him in, like, his full costume standing beside his car with two... um, Arizona police to police officers. Uh-huh. Like, he was well-known in that. So, after his arrest, his ex-wife came forward to inform police that Miller had actually confessed to another murder to her. <gasps> and this is a big trigger warning. I'm going to be talking about child death. So, if you don't like this, skip ahead, maybe a few minutes. Okay. The victim was 13-year-old Brandy Myers. Brandy was a happy bubbly child with developmental delays and she had the most precious smile and bright blonde hair Mm
3: -hmm.
0: the lenses of her glasses were like pink tinted Uh uh-huh when you see pictures of her and i don't know why but like her smile and her hair and her bangs like i immediately thought cindy brady (laughs) like just very sweet very innocent very kind genuine Mm -hmm. smile she was adorable on may 26 1992 brandy disappeared and this is what Miller told his ex-wife had happened. Brandy had left her apartment on foot to collect money for a school project she completed. So it was one of those school drives where she would read so many books and people mm-hmm. would pledge to give money based on the number of books she read. Oh. And so she had gone around to people in her neighborhood. And she was only allowed to walk in a small radius mm-hmm. in the blocks around her apartment complex. So, when she left that afternoon, her younger sister actually watched her walk around the corner and never saw her again. Oh. Yes. In an interview with her sister, she said that, like, you know when you get those feelings like something bad is about to happen? Mm -hmm. Or just, like, things are about to change? When Brandy walked around that corner, she said she, like, wanted to call out for her, but she didn't.
1: Oh, man.
0: Yeah. So, Miller's ex-wife stated that he told her... That he was responsible for the death of a developmentally delayed teenager wearing glasses in the early 90s. He said the girl had accidentally knocked on his door thinking he'd pledged to donate money for the school project. And this is really graphic. Mm. When Brandy knocked on his door, Miller grabbed her, pulled her inside, and began stabbing her. (gasps) Why? Because he's a monster.
1: Wow. He's
0: a monster. Brandy did not die immediately, so Miller then cut her throat. Ugh. Miller told his ex-wife that he had plans on keeping her body, so he placed her in the bathtub. However, when neighbors began to uh, complain of the smell, he got scared. So he dismembered Brandy's body, put the pieces in trash bags, and then set them out in his trash can, where Brandy's body was then sent to the landmill. Landfill, not landmill. Oh, okay. Landfill, sorry. I was
1: like, oh, they had a mill in Arizona. Okay. No, <laughs> the
0: landfill. Sorry, that is really disturbing. Yeah. Brandy's remains have never been found.
1: Oh. Yeah,
0: and during their investigation, it was discovered that the last known sighting of Brandy was by a neighbor living two doors down from Miller's residence, and Brandy was walking in the direction of his house when they last saw her. When asked why she didn't come forward, Miller's ex stated that she had been afraid of him.
2: Mm
3: Mm-hmm. Which,
0: yeah. I would be too. I would be terrified. Miller has denied being responsible for the death of Angela, Melanie, and Brandy. So, investigators looking into the murder of Adrian. Um, It was initially Detective Aiky. But Detective Duarte had joined, joined later on. hmm So based on the information they had about Miller, they were like, it's probably a good idea to look into him and see if yes. he is a viable suspect. So they start looking into him. And what they found was a long history of violence against women. Starting in 1989 when Miller was 17, he attacked and stabbed a teen girl in a mall parking lot. He pleaded guilty to attempted murder, but are you ready? Mm Mm-hmm. He was only sentenced to one year in a juvenile facility. For
1: attempted murder?
0: For pleading guilty to attempted murder, yes.
1: I mean, they don't know what he would do in the future. However, lock him up and throw away the key.
0: So, that was in 1989, and then Brandy disappeared in May of 1992. Angela was murdered... In November of 1992, and then Melanie was murdered in September of 1993. That's back to back to back.
1: Mm Mm-hmm, pretty much. In
0: 1994, Miller and his wife relocated to Everett, Washington. In 2000, a 14-year-old girl, Victoria Michelson, was walking alone on a trail when she was attacked by a man. The man came up behind her and sliced her throat. He then began to choke her. Michelson fought back as best she could. She actually turned and kicked the knife out of his hands. Mm-hmm. And she saw that it was on the they like they both saw that it was on the ground at the same time and they both went for it. Mm-hmm. Victoria was able to grab the knife and she was like laying on the ground holding it to her chest, like so he couldn't grab it grab it. Uh-huh. But she her throat had been sliced. Yeah. She had been choked. Mm-hmm. She was not in good shape. No. So her attacker told her That if she gave him the knife back, then he would leave. She was alone and she was scared and she just wanted it to be over. Yeah. So she gave him the knife back.
1: And I don't think he leaves, does he?
0: No. He then began choking her again until he thought she'd passed out. Mm -hmm. And Victoria was unaware at this time that he'd also stabbed her. She remembers the attacker holding her head up to place her backpack underneath her head like he was posing her body. Mm-hmm. And then he fled the scene.
1: What a sick creep.
0: Yes. So, years later, when Detectives Aki and Duarte are looking into Adrienne's murder, they reach out to Victoria because they were looking to see so she other she survived. Places. She did survive. Good. This. She survived. She had a long recovery, but she survived. Mm-hmm. When they reached out to her, looking into the unsolved murders and attacks that Miller may be responsible for in the area, she, when she saw his picture, she was like, that's him. That is the person that attacked me. Mm-hmm. But because the of, statute of limitations had expired, Miller could not be charged with this.
1: I agree. you say, it doesn't expire on murder, but this is not murder.
0: Yes, she survived. And then in 2002, Miller was charged with attacking Melissa Ruiz Ramirez. Melissa accepted a ride for Miller because she recognized him as the neighbor that lived in the apartment complex, like the same apartment complex as one of her friends. So she, she knew him and she trusted mm-hmm. him. At some point during that ride, Miller pulled out a large knife and began stabbing Melissa. My God. Melissa was able to escape and she did survive. Good. During the trial, because he was charged with attempted murder. During the trial, Miller claimed self defense and said that Melissa had tried to rob him. He was acquitted of the charges.
1: How? Yeah. I don't know. Ugh.
0: Well, actually, I do know. The jurors in that trial did not hear about his past um well at that his point. Past
1: stabbings.
0: <laughs> yeah, at that point, the only thing that he had actually been accused and charged with was that Attempted murder when he was 17. Mm -hmm. And I don't... I would hope that something that significant would not be expunged from his record. Yeah. But typically, when you have charges against you before you turn 18, a lot of times, they are not on your permanent record.
1: But he tried to kill someone, but they only gave him a year.
0: Yeah, and I'm not saying that's what happened in that case. I just... I don't know if that's what had Mm
1: -hmm.
2: happened.
0: So... Investigators realized how much of a violent history that he had and further explored the idea of him being responsible for Adrian's death. When they spoke with Keane again, Miller's ex-friend that had called him the initial tip, he shared that the week that Adrian had disappeared, Miller had been suffering from severe anxiety and had been going out on early morning and pre-dawn bike rides. Miller had also been in the Tempe area around the time of Adrian's disappearance. Because he was at a get-together at one of his friends' house. Mm-hmm. Miller is also very familiar with the Superstition Mountains, which is the proposed dump site of Adrian's body. However, at this time, Detective Duarte isn't convinced that he's responsible for Adrian's death. While police cannot release all the information they have about the evidence found at Adrian's... At her recovery site. Uh-huh. Detective Duarte said that looking at Miller's known murders, he definitely has a very distinct way in which he does things. Mm-hmm. And that didn't necessarily fit with what was found with Adrian's body. Okay. The MO was a bit different.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And so it's very obvious, based on his past known murders, that his preferred method of murder is stabbing. Mm-hmm. And because of the state of Adrian's body, they didn't see any stab wounds, and a lot of times when you are stabbed that deeply, you will have nicks on your yeah on your bones, but they didn't have anything that they would consider something that he had mm-hmm.
3: done
1: so it's just a trash human being that maybe could have done it, but no one really knows
0: well and at the at the the thing is is there was a lot of gaps mm-hmm. in between when he murdered melanie Burness. Mm-hmm. and then cuz that murder took place in 93 uh-huh he did not have another attack that was that we know about until 2000 when he attacked victoria that's 7 years it is and someone that has just murdered three young women in the span of like, 16 months brutally murdered women. Mm-hmm. He's not just going to stop. No. So, there's most likely other things that have happened that police just don't know mm-hmm. about. Because that's quick to go from murdering a 13-year-old with special needs to just, like, not doing anything. Yeah. Like, that just... Doesn't
1: it doesn't make sense.
0: No, so there's definitely other things that he is responsible for that
2: and we just don't know it yet. That
0: yeah, that they don't know about, and this is also something that I was thinking about too. When we think of serial killers' victims, or when we say suspected victims, mm-hmm. there's always a lot of well, who's missing in the news? Who can we? tied to this person from mm-hmm. the news and a lot of times sex workers, addicts, people living on the streets mm-hmm. like unhomed people they don't get counted in that No and that I feel like they like obviously they need to be counted they're a person they matter they count hmm but a lot of times I don't think you know investigators aren't going out and looking for for them. Which is sad and unfortunate. And so, um, you know, when I was researching this, I was like, "That's a very likely possibility as to why you're not seeing in the news somebody you could tie yeah. to him." But I don't think that in those seven years he wasn't doing anything.
1: Mm-hmm. I don't either. He's he's too much.
0: It's it, it. was really disturbing to think about this. Mm-hmm. To like research this and this person and. And then it's also sad, too, like, when you think about um, Adrian, because they don't actually have a crime scene. They don't know what happened to her. They have her remains, and any evidence that could have been found was washed away. Mm-hmm. Police had collected cell phone data from numerous providers in the area to see if they could pinpoint anybody whose cell phone had pinged in Tempe and then pinged at Apache Junction. Uh-huh. And there were a lot of phones that did. I'm sure. That's a big area. mm Hmm. Miller's phone was not one of them.
1: Oh, well, I mean, he's. Yeah. If you said I think you said it earlier he's in jail, right, for murder at this point.
0: No. So this oh. was. Adrian was went missing in 2013. Mm-hmm. He did not get arrested until 2015, which okay. is when King called in that and said, "You mm-hmm. need to look at him because he just got arrested."
1: Okay. Gotcha. Yes.
0: Investigators aren't releasing if they actually have DNA found Mm -hmm. with Adrian's, in Adrian's case. But again, they have to keep some things close to the vest. They can't release everything they have. I was going to say they shouldn't. No, because if somebody calls in a tip, they have to make sure that it's legitimate. Mm -hmm. And they need to hold some things back. So when they do get somebody, if they tell them something that wasn't released, they can know, like, this is actually what happened. Uh Uh-huh. Currently, Adrian's case remains unsolved, and it's been unsolved for almost 10 years.
1: Oh, that's so sad. It really, truly breaks my heart.
0: Yeah. Adrian, she, someone found her walking. Yeah. Someone had to find her walking and took advantage of her. She was drunk. She was, her emotions were all out of whack mm-hmm. because she was wanting to see Fran. Like, just,
1: and, like, I feel bad for all of her friends. I feel bad for her family. Yeah. And I, I feel especially bad for him because they probably weren't on the best terms before she went missing.
0: Yeah. And it, it was, he was, it was really upsetting for him to be seen as a suspect. Mm-hmm. Because it, it, you know, that was, like, his best friend. Yeah. That's the person that he had, that knew him best since he was, like, 12 years old. Mm-hmm. And she's not there and then police are looking at you like you're a suspect. Which, he never actually became a suspect. That was no. just in the initial investigation. Fran has never been a suspect. Adrian's friends and family never considered him a suspect. He was always cooperative. Fran did not do anything to Adrian.
1: Yeah, no. The police just had to look into everyone yes. that knew her, and it was unfortunate. Yeah. They were not on... I don't say not on the best of terms, but they were not agreeing on yeah. lots of and things before she disappeared. Yes,
0: And Tom Simon Jr. has actually called the police department several times and left messages because since it came out that he was interviewed about Adrian's disappearance Mm -hmm. and, you know, obviously now that interrogation video is on the internet Uh and everybody can watch it, he's struggling to actually get work. I can see that. Again, like, you were acting kind of suspicious, dude.
1: You were. I'm like, that is definitely partly his fault because he just was blowing up For the circumstance, like he was not cooperating or he didn't want to cooperate. It sounded like, I guess he did, but he did not want to cooperate. He was upset to even be there.
0: Yeah. And the elements really worked against the investigators in this case. And investigators have worked very hard. Like they were on the case really early Mm -hmm. trying to find out what happened. And like, they just, they don't have anything else to go on because it's easy. It's easier you know, when you have a crime scene yeah. or at least like you can find the actual spot where Adrian like was dumped. And mm-hmm. I hate to say that, that sounds so harsh, like where her body was left. Yeah. But they don't even know the exact spot where her body was left. Mm-hmm. They just know that at some point it was upstream and it was washed down. There is currently a $20,000 reward for any person that can provide information leading to the person or persons responsible for her death. And if you have any information about the disappearance and death of Adrian Salinas, you can contact the FBI, call into their tip line, and that number is 1-800-CALL-FBI, or you can contact the Tempe Police Department At 480-350-8311. And it's very likely somebody saw something and they just didn't realize that's what they were seeing.
1: Exactly. I was getting ready to say, I hope somewhere down the road that someone can connect some dots to help solve this.
0: Yes. And I mean, granted, it was early in the morning Mm -hmm. on Saturday, but there were other people at that gas station. And it... You know, we've had this conversation before. I'm not... Accept- it, it was in the Lee Cooper-Wallace episode mm-hmm. where you you kind of get in like a one-tracked mind, like where you're going, you're not paying attention to everything yeah. around you, and you see stuff, but it doesn't register. Like, that might be something I need to pay attention to. Mm-hmm. And so somebody had to see something. I mean, and I feel like you would notice if you see someone stumbling in the street, you're going to pay more attention to that. Exactly. So, and I, you know adrian would not have gotten into a car with somebody she didn't know
1: Mm
0: -hmm. i mean
1: or of her own free will
0: yeah and it could have been one of those things where somebody pulled up beside her and she thinks it's the cab that she had called and Mm -hmm. because she's so inebriated she didn't realize that it was not the cab and she just got in oh because in that case she had called this person to come get her Mm -hmm. so it just
1: it's it's all so sad
0: yes and it's been almost 10 years, so if anybody knows anything, like, bring some justice mm-hmm. for Adrienne and her family.
1: Reach out. If you know something, say something.
0: Yes, if you see something. Even if it's something funny, yes. If you think it's not significant, it could change everything.
1: hmm Here's hoping in the future we can do an update. Yeah. I really hope so.
0: Yes, before that 10-year mark.
1: Yes, absolutely. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. If you're interested in reaching out to us one please do but you can find us at monsters and murder pod on instagram yes and monsters and murder pod at gmail.com yes yay i did it yes you
0: did (laughs) high five yes
1: and you guys if you leave us a review that is great it really does help but we just appreciate you guys listening
0: yes thank you stay safe bye